Well, let me tell you a little bit about letters. There's a story where God sent an angel to the earth to find out what was happening on earth. And what happened was the angel went back and reported to God that 95%, 95% of the people had all kinds of issues. They were not following and they were lost. But there were 5%, just 5%, that were good stewards of the gospel. God needed a second opinion. So he sent another angel, sent another angel down to earth to find out what was going on. Well, that second angel came back, and that angel came back and still said the same thing as the first angel, that 95% of the people on earth were struggling. They were lost. They did not have direction. There was division. There was confusion. And only 5%, only 5% were good stewards of the gospel. They were in order and they were following Jesus. Just 5%. So God decided to send a letter. He decided to send a letter. And he sent it only to the 5%. And the reason why he sent it to the 5% is he needed to make sure that those few, that 5%, would be able to be encouraged and not be distracted or turned away because of the other 95%. So this letter went to the 5%. And do you know what that letter said? You know what that letter said? You didn't get one either? Well, I'll tell you what the... That means we're part of the 95%. I'll tell you what a person who did get a letter. It was the Apostle Paul who sent Timothy a letter. Look at this. I got it right here. Timothy, Church of Ephesus. And uh, it's postmarked 2,000 years ago. Wow. And it's the second notice. I wonder if it's a late car payment. Oh, it's Second of Timothy in the Bible. That's what we'll be talking about today. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And we're going to talk about First and Second of Timothy. We've been talking about Timothy a lot. So what we're going to do is we're going to sort of step back, and we're going to take a look at First and Second of Timothy. We're going to get closer to Second of Timothy, and then I'm going to zoom in on 2nd of Timothy, chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Okay? So, Timothy is specifically responsible for maintaining the Apostle Paul's standard of teaching in the church of Ephesus. That was his job. Okay? And in 1st of Timothy uh, 3.15, but in case I'm delayed, the scripture reads, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. See, that was the purpose. But that's in First of Timothy. We've talked about this already. Uh, chapter 3, verse 15. What that relates to is living in dignity. Sound teaching with sound doctrine. Yes, that's right. We've been talking about sound doctrine. We've been identifying false teachers. And we've been talking about how we oversee the church. That's the conversation Apostle Paul had with Timothy. Okay? Um, now, 
at this point, in Second of Timothy, the second letter, Apostle Paul's work is almost done. He had devoted his life in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had fought for sound teaching in churches. He had trained pastors. He had corrected individuals, churches, and even other apostles. He had testified before kings. That's what the Apostle Paul did. Now, in 2nd of Timothy, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter near the end of his life. And we know this in 2nd of Timothy 4, 6. Because in the King James Version, the scripture reads, For I am ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And that was in 2nd of Timothy. So we've talked before. 1st of Timothy was when Timothy was new, was given a new assignment. There was that type of language that we have spoken about before. In 2nd of Timothy, not 1st of Timothy, but 2nd of Timothy, the Apostle Paul's job is pretty much done. And this is basically a sign-off and a handoff to Timothy. Now, 2nd of Timothy brings us to the brink of Apostle Paul's death, forcing us to consider its reality and how we might react when we face it. Because we as disciples will face the same challenges Apostle Paul because at the time of the end of our life or at the end of our service, we'll have the same kind of thinking of Apostle Paul. And that's the end of life meditation. Now, the Apostle Paul's response instructs us still today. His mind was not on himself. He wasn't dwelling on all of the injustices and that had befallen him. Instead, what he focused on was trusting that God had him right where he wanted him. This aging apostle, the apostle Paul was aging, and he turned his attention to others, specifically to the church and to young Timothy. He had already released attention to himself. Well, we saw that already in 1st of Timothy, but the language in 2nd of Timothy is more so. You see, older people dream. They dream of the world and the legacy that they leave behind. And that is what Apostle Paul was doing with Timothy, was focusing on Timothy being the legacy that the Apostle Paul leaves behind. You see, in Second of Timothy, the Apostle Paul's encouragement comes from uh, the aging apostle. And I keep saying aging apostle. We're focusing on that he's near his time. And he used the phrase that showed up prominently in his letter to Timothy years prior. Now, remember, he talked about in 1st of Timothy, chapter 1, verse 18, and again, 1st uh, of Timothy 6, 12. He always talked about fight the good fight. That was the, sort of the key phrase, fight the good f- fight. But in 2nd of Timothy, as I say, the language is different. The Apostle Paul turned the phrase on himself, writing that he had fought, past tense, he had fought the good fight. He finished the course, and he kept the faith. And you'll see that in 2nd of Timothy 4, 7. Okay? So he, in his own language, in his own writing, he is saying that his job is done. Because his job is done, there's a greater encouragement, a greater requirement for Timothy in the church of Ephesus. So here's a quick outline of 2nd of Timothy. Now we're going to talk about 2nd of Timothy. The 2nd of Timothy, that whole letter comes in five parts. The first one is to guard and maintain the gospel. See, he's passing off the gospel to Timothy because his time is done. So we say, you've got to guard it. The baton is in your hands now. Okay? The next one is to fight and suffer for the gospel. Why does he say to suffer for the gospel? He's teaching Timothy 
that Timothy will go through what he went through. Because that is what fighting the gospel is. Because we, we fight confrontation. The third part is to pursue godliness. That relates to character, integrity, and other specific types of behavior. And as part of that, as part of being an example, the fourth part is to continue in sound teaching. To continue in sound teaching. That relates to sound doctrine, focusing on the doctrine. And the fifth part is to preach the word. Preach the word. Continue, continue to continue. That's a quick outline of Second of Timothy. Now let's talk about the focus of Second of Timothy. The Apostle Paul was appointed a, preach, a preacher, uh, uh, apostle, and teacher of the gospel. That's who he was. Guard and fight for the gospel. And what Timothy was uh, responsible for was, number one, guarding it. Number two, entrusting it to others. Number three, the road ahead will be hard and be strong and fight the good fight. We see this, as I say, guarding it. That's in 2 Timothy, chapter 1, 12 through 13. Entrusting it to others, 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 2. The road ahead will be hard. That's 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 8. And chapter 2, verse 3. And the fourth one, be strong and fight the good fight. And that's 2 Timothy, um, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. And chapter 2, verse 1. See, there are a lot of people out there who will try to disrupt the work and lead people into ungodliness. We see that today. And if you don't believe me, just turn on the news. What the news is and the activities that are happening in the news is distraction and division. That's what the Apostle Paul was talking about, two things. Distraction, division, and part of that is he defined it specifically false teachers. Okay, the Apostle Paul's last introduction to Timothy is to preach the word. That was the fifth part, remember. Timothy is not responsible for keeping the church doctrine in line. He's also supposed to bring the teaching to the lost. That means Timothy was charged not to only focus on the church of Ephesus, but also the congregation outside of Ephesus. Because the Apostle Paul was explaining, now is the time to multiply yourself. Because that's what, that's what the Apostle Paul was doing for himself. He was multiplying himself to Timothy and others, now he's telling Timothy, you must do what I have done and multiply yourself as well. Okay? So let's take a look at uh, the key scripture for tonight, which is Second of Timothy, chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. And if you're all physically able, please stand, and I will read the scripture. So again, I'm reading Second of Timothy, chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. And this relates to being strong in grace. Okay, so again, this is Second of Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. So, verse 1. Um, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrusted to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. 
Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Verse 8. Remember, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. God bless you all. So let me give you some key summary phrases um, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. The first one was to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I'll provide detail. Number two, it's the things that you have heard from me commit to faithful men. Number three, endure hardness as a good soldier. Number four, consider what I say. Number five, remember that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Now I'll explain more. The first one was be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. See, another translation has it, find your strength in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You may find yourself in the position that those who thought you were the closest associates and greatest supporters will turn against you. Maybe it's not for the truth's sake that they have turned against you. Maybe it is because you have done some crazy thing for which you are sorry. But all the repentance in the world doesn't seem to change their feelings and attitudes towards you. Let me talk about number two, which is the things you have heard from me. Commit to faithful men. This is the formula, the formula by which Jesus operated. He shared the truths of God with a select group of people. If you effectively disciple 10 persons every three years, then if those 10 persons will each disciple 10 others every three years, and each one that is discipled over a three-year period will disciple 10 others every three years, in six years, you would have 110 teachers. That's the mathematics. This is the most effective way of multiplying a ministry to commit to the faithful the things that you have been taught so that you shall be able to teach others. So multiply yourselves. But to multiply yourself, have it taught to others that they themselves need to multiply themselves. Number three, endure hardness as a good soldier. I'm going to talk about being a soldier. Okay, endure hardness as a soldier. How do the Marines develop their hard muscles? Through discipline and training. We have too many softies in the ministry. I'm not afraid to say that. We have too many softies in the ministries. Not willing to go that extra mile. It is interesting to me that those who are conscripted, who are assigned, who are charged to serve their country in the armed forces are willing to put up with a much greater set of discomforts than what we are usually called upon to do. See, fellows get orders to do a six-month stint overseas. My nephews, I have three nephews in the military. They've all been in Afghanistan. They've seen the whites of the enemy's eyes. Okay? So while their families stay home, I have a nephew married with two children. So while he's out in harm's way, his family suffers at home. He suffers by fighting a different kind of good fight. So I bless them. 
That's the issue. Their family must stay home, and many have left the ministry for just that. There's a much greater fight for things of the world, which are good for good purpose. I'm I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just giving this as a, a metaphor. But there's not much of a great fight for the ministry to have the fight and the faith in the gospel. So, number four, consider what I say. What do I mean when the apostle says, consider what I say? That means to think it over. That means it makes sense. It interests me how that God wants us to think and to reason to think things through. See, that's what God teaches us. That's why we have a sense of meditation. God teaches us to stop and think things through. See, Satan does not want people to think. I'm going to say that again. Satan does not want people to think. Okay? And he does everything possible to prevent them from thinking. So none. So there are two things that Satan does. Satan does not want you to think. And on top of that, he'll prevent you from thinking. Okay? So let me explain how that works. The word muse, you heard of that? The word muse, in Greek, it means to think. That's what muse means, if I'm musing over something. If you put the negative in A, that letter A, in front of it, then you have the word amuse, amuse. That means not to think. Like an amusement park. The purpose of amusement is to keep you from thinking. That's why people enjoy amusement parks, because it's a nice distraction. See, Satan has done a very effective job in amusing the world. Because we do not muse. That's the issue. Number five. Remember that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. We talked about it in Easter. We talk about it every Sunday, every Wednesday. We know about it when we read the Bible. We know about it in our faith. In a recent poll of ministers, ministers, in a recent poll of ministers, when asked the question, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? I mean, the true belief. The question was posed in a way, not do you teach it, but do you believe it truly in your heart? And the truth came out. 51% of Methodist ministers answered no. 35% of Episcopalians Uh, 33% of American Baptists, 30% of Presbyterians, and 13% of American Lutherans. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if I were to remove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no gospel. There's no gospel. So if you don't believe in the resurrection, then where is your ministry? Where is it? That's where the false teachers are. That's how you find them. So for preaching the resurrection, the Apostle Paul said he suffered trouble. Why? Because he ran across the same statistics I just did. He was even put in the bonds for preaching the resurrection, but he declared the word of God was not bound. The Apostle Paul was willing to be bound, stoned, and beaten, and shipwrecked, and whatever else. So he might be held in captivity, but the gospel isn't. And so that's how the Apostle Paul was free. Because he stayed with the gospel. So with the resurrection and what followed, we have obtained salvation and eternal glory. We just have to believe it. We just have to know it. It isn't just that we have been saved from hell, but we have the promise of eternal glory. Amen. The promise of eternal glory. 
Too many ministers concentrate on the saved from business. You're saved from. But not share enough of the hope of eternal glory. Because that is the gospel. The Bible teaches that there is no other way to, uh, to salvation than through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says in John 14.6, Jesus says in uh, 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the light. You see, Jesus is the only one to have come down from heaven and returned there. That's in John 3.13. He is the only person to have lived a perfect human life. That's in Hebrews 4.15. So what I've just talked about are the key phrases that I just shared with you when we read Second uh, um, uh, uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things that you have heard from me commit to faithful men. Uh, endure hardness as a good soldier. Consider what I say. Remember that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Now I'm going to go to the next step. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to go to the next step. I'm going to go to a higher dimension. We're going to talk about the disciplines of a strong minister. And you're asking me, you know, you, you might say, hey, wait a minute, I'm not a minister. Why, why is he talking about this? Okay. What we're talking about here is the letter from Apostle Paul to Timothy. Who's Timothy? He's a minister. So for us to understand how a church should be operated, we should understand what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. If we understand those instructions, then we understand what Timothy's trying to tell the congregation. So if we understand the Apostle Paul, what he's teaching Timothy, we understand what Pastor Jose and Pastor Melly is teaching this congregation. Because what the Apostle Paul told Timothy is the same thing that God tells our pastors. That's why. So there are going to be six things that I'll chat with you about today. Number one, a strong minister relies on God's grace. And that's our topic tonight, God's grace. Number two, a strong minister faithfully teaches God's word. Nothing stops it. We're here today. Uh, number three, a strong minister demonstrates the attitude of a good soldier. We're going to talk about that, a good soldier. And number four, a strong minister competes like an athlete according to God's rules. So first a soldier, then an athlete. And then a strong minister is like a hardworking farmer. That's number five. And number six, a strong minister is a faithful Bible student. So part of what I just talked about is the minister is like a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Wow. You know, we learned when, when we read the, the New Covenant, we learned that Jesus spoke in parables. But apostles spoke with metaphors, very similar to parables. And this is how we're able to remember. So I'm going to talk about the first one. A strong minister relies on God's grace. So the first one is to rely, to rely on God's grace. We must not put our trust in our own abilities. We can't, we can't rely on our own abilities. And I pause to say that because I remember there was a time I really focused. I, I'm in control. I can handle that. I was like that. I had to repent. I was convicted, I was put in a state of conviction so that I could be in a state of repentance. Two-step process, conviction, repentance. Okay, in Christ Jesus, and do not rely on human credentials. 
we must have confidence, not have confidence, no confidence in our abilities. It is when we feel confident in our counseling, serving, or teaching that we lose God's power. When we have confidence in ourselves, that's like the, the red check engine light. That's, that's the red flag. Okay? God's power is made perfect in our weakness. See, if we know that we have weakness and then we ask God for help and we see the manifestation of change, that is where our strength comes from. So to rely on God's grace, we must abide in Christ. We must abide in Christ. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus Christ said, I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains in me, and I in it because apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. That means you've got to be a part of the network. We must daily abide in God's word, prayer, and worship in order to be strengthened by God's grace. Daily prayer, morning, night. If not, all our work and our ministry in sharing the gospel will be done in the flesh. So what do, what do I mean when I say, I'm, I'm going to translate. So what do I mean when I say we do our ministry in the flesh? Once again, false teachers. How many times have I said false teachers? Am I on my third time now? Okay. If, uh, if not, all of our work and ministry will be done in the flesh and only produce fleshly results. It'll be obvious. It's fake. So the question is, are we abiding in Christ? To rely on God's grace, we must ask for more of it. You know, I've mentioned before, uh, me, Kushita, Linda, and I, we pray every morning and every night. We, also, we always ask for peace, love, and joy to come through the household and in our marriage, because we always pray for our marriage, um, and we see the manifestation of that. And then we also ask for favor and provision. Morning and night, we're always asking for that. Uh, we also ask what we can do for others as well. Because one of the things that we do to be strengthened by God, when we do more for others, it distracts us in a positive way. It distracts us from our own needs. When we forget about ourselves and think more of others, God automatically takes care of uh, selves. Um, we we I digress for a bit. We, we were praying um, because of certain business deals we're going through right now. We were praying for uh, financial provision. And uh, I'm on camera, and I'm with Moscow, Russia. And I hear my wife, ah! I don't know what it was. I haven't had a mouse in a while in about five years, so I didn't know what it was. It was like a check from an insurance company for $243. just came in the mail. Uh, <laughs> So that's what I'm saying. God, God's glory. Um, so we must ask for more of it. Yes, God has given us much grace in our salvation. However, there is more that he would like to give. In James 4, 6, says he gives more grace. God wants to give it to you. You just have to ask. You have to stand in front of him. In James 4, 6, but he gives more grace, therefore... It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, humble people do not think about themselves. They think of others. So, are you asking for more grace? 
So let's now talk about to rely on God's grace, we must work. I know it's a four-letter word, but yes, we must work. Though the phrase, be strong, is passive, it does not suggest passivity. Relying on God is more a matter of the heart than an action. However, to rely on his grace, we must, in fact, work. As we pray and trust God, we must work in accordance with his grace. In 1st of Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 10, 1st of Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me has not been in vain. In fact, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. And that's in 1st of Corinthians 15.10. You see, some trust in God, but don't work. People trust in God, but don't work. See, given our free will, there's a part that we have to do. Okay? Others work, but don't trust. That means there's no direction. Neither is a proper balance. To not work and simply claim it by faith is to have no faith at all. Because God gave grace. See, the Apostle Paul worked harder than everyone else, and therefore God's grace was not without effect. It had effect. Is God's grace effective in you? Are you trusting and working? Strong ministers, like Timothy, rely on God's grace, and it prompts them to faithfully work hard. A strong minister faithfully teaches God's word. I'll say that again. A strong minister faithfully teaches God's word. It's one thing to have the knowledge, but it's another thing to share. That's part of the multiplication we talked about. The Apostle Paul called Timothy to faithfully teach others what he originally learned from the Apostle Paul. The word entrust carries the idea of depositing something valuable for safekeeping. That's that knowledge. Timothy was part of a long train of people who had been entrusted with God's word with the purpose of them teaching it to others. There are four generations of teachers in the passage, Paul, Timothy, faithful people, and those the faithful people teach. It is like the relay race. Think of it. Think of when you watch the Olympics, you see a relay race. It is like a relay race where the individuals keep passing the baton. They pass the baton from one person to another. Sadly, in this race, there are people who for some reason feel tired and distracted and therefore drop the baton. They drop the baton. They say, I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like sharing God's words with others. I just don't feel like it. What do you not feel like? I, I don't know what I don't feel like. I just don't feel like it. Okay? And that's, that's the attitude. Oh, I'm tired. I don't want to go. Oh, the pastor knows. The pastor understands. See, there's nothing more selfish than this. This baton saves and changes lives. We need to receive a baton and pass it on. That's why the Bible has lasted 2,000 years. Uh, when we drop it, we neglect the work of Christ, the apostles, pastors, teachers, a small group of leaders, youth leaders, and parents who faithfully pass it on to us. We must be faithful students and teachers. Not only are we students and we learn, we must also be teachers of God's Word. We are the living links in the chain, and therefore we must pass it on to others. A strong minister demonstrates the attitude of a good soldier. Remember I told you 
the attitude of a good soldier. I'm going to explain that. See, when every believer was born again, they were enlisted in a war. Yep, good and evil. That's the war. We are in a war with our flesh as we fight against sin. And that's what our flesh is. It is sin. We are in a war with the devil as we fight against the powers and principalities and rulers of the darkness. We are in a war against the world as we fight against being conformed to the world. We are all soldiers in a war, whether we recognize it or not. So the question is, are we good soldiers? Good soldiers are willing to suffer for Christ. Good soldiers stand with other soldiers. Good soldiers focus on their job by avoiding distractions. What are the distractions? It's the things of this world. Good soldiers aim to please their commanding officer. Who's their commanding officer? Jesus Christ. Okay? The other metaphor that was given. A strong minister competes like an athlete. It's according to God's rules. The Apostle Paul often uses athletic illustrations in his letters. He mentions track and field in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He talks about boxing and wrestling in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. So, though the Christian life is often compared with an athletic competition, we are not competing against each other, but to compete the race God has given us and be rewarded like an individual competition. For this reason, we must keep the rules or else we become disqualified. So what are the rules? It is the principles and the teachings we get from the Bible. That's why we have Bible sessions. That's why we have special events. That's why we have Sunday service. Um, a strong minister is like a hardworking farmer. Okay? A farmer. The Apostle Paul switches metaphors here again from sports to agriculture. And this happens in the, uh, in the passage I read. He, Timothy, to be strong, a minister, by modeling a hard-working farmer. The phrase, works hard, means to toil intensely. Toil intensely. To sweat and strain to the point of exhaustion, if necessary. See, Christian farmers must be patient. It takes a long time to grow your crop. And what's your crop? It's your congregation. It's your next generation. Christian farmers must be faithful in the mundane, that which may feel boring to them, but that's part of fighting the good fight. And Christian farmers must hope in a future harvest. And that's what our youth is. That's our future harvest. And finally, a strong minister is a faithful Bible student. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy to think about what he said and the Lord would give understanding. The word think means to consider carefully, to ponder, to mull over. We talked about this. The form of the verb is imperative, indicating that Paul was giving a strong admonition, not mere advice. With that said, the Apostle Paul's instructions in all of the scripture, therefore be a strong minister, Timothy would need to be a faithful student. That means it's lifelong learning. You're always learning. Okay? Um... So this is true for us as well. So when, to understand Scripture, we must study it. To understand Scripture, we must rely on God. Because we can't do this alone. We don't just read a book and say, okay, I know how to fix the car. That's not how it works. Okay? So the summary of, of these characteristics that I talked about, and there are six of them that I just spoke about, but we talked about a strong minister relies on God's grace. 
A strong minister faithfully teaches God's word. A strong minister demonstrates the attitude of a good soldier. A strong minister competes like an athlete, according to God's rules. A strong minister is like a hardworking farmer. And a strong minister is a faithful Bible student. Okay? The Apostle Paul encourages Timothy to exercise his gifts so as to be a very fruitful Christian. Not just to be a Christian, but a fruitful Christian. That means one that multiplies. So to be a fruitful Christian, there is a person that you must be. There is a task that you must do. There is a price you must pay. So a person needs to be strong in grace. And the task uh, to do is to be a disciple. And the price to pay is to suffer hardship. To be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, you must be clear and stand firmly on the gospel of God's grace. To be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, you must be clear on your standing in Christ. To be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, you must avoid appeals to become godly through legalism. Let me tell you what legalism is. Legalism is the attempt to be holy by keeping certain standards, usually man-made, without dealing with with your heart before God. So that's a problem. So to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, you must be weak in yourself, but strong in God's sufficiency. I'll repeat that. To be strong in God's grace that is in Christ Jesus, you must be weak in yourself, but strong in God's sufficiency. So to be a Christian, and I mean a real one, not a false teacher, not related to legalism, we talked about that, you must be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It will cause you to be astonished in his amazing grace that saved you. It will sustain you as to serve him. It will flow through you to others and attract them to Christ because his grace is supremely attractive. I pray that we all will be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So... Let me give you some thoughts, things that will make you go, hmm. It's hot where Satan is, but the church is prayer conditioned. He who kneels before God can stand before anyone. A lot of kneeling will keep you in good standing. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those who are called. We don't change God's message. His message changes us. Exercise daily and walk with the Lord. Our website is resurrectionspringfield.org, thekradio.com, resurrectioncenterradio.com, ktv.com. Like and share on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at TRC413. Subscribe to ResSense Spring on YouTube. Join us on Friday night. Your identity is your God-given purpose. That's the title of Friday night's message at 7 p.m. here at the Resurrection Center. 1060 Worcester Street, you'll hear the testimony of someone falling out of a plane in the air and lived to tell that story. Yep, you've got to watch out for that first step. My name is David Ewan. I head up the Bravehearted Ministry at the Resurrection Center. It is good to see you. I bless all of you. Thank you for joining us. I need a... Mr. Wayne, get in front of me.